calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of The Sharon Tapes was made possible by our supporters on Seed Spark. Anthony Sigmund, Cassandra Casablanca, Nas Orgs, and Evibon125. If you'd like to support the show as well, please go to patreon.com slash homesteadcorner. For as little as $5 a month, you get early access to ad-free versions of episodes, a special behind-the-scenes podcast, and patron-only AMA live streams. Before we get started, this episode contains severe existential dread and despair, depictions of a dystopian police state and imprisonment, elements of pyrophobia and the uncanny, gun violence, squelching sound effects, implied transphobia, character betrayal, and loud noises including alarms and screams. Content warnings and a full transcript are available in the show notes.
You're being awfully quiet for once. Not the time to be a smartass, Bailey. Oh, come on. We haven't seen one of those... Uh... Faceless police officers. We haven't seen them for a while now. Doesn't mean they're not listening, Bailey. We're taking enough of a risk being here in the first place. If they were going to stop us, they would have done it at the gate. I, I think you're right. We're hidden from these things somehow. This is still Morrison's domain. I'm not leaving anything to chance in here. If you're so worried about it, you could have just stayed at the house. I'll take care of Bill and Rob. Kate and Jerry can take care of them just fine. And I wasn't about to let you blunder in here alone and risk all of our safety. Gee, thanks for the vote of confidence. I'm glad you're here, by the way. I mean it. Save it, Bailey. No, I'm serious. After what happened in this source, I really Seriously, feel Bailey, like... Shut up. I, I think there's someone coming. Shit. Quick, down this alley. Casting the single room in ghostly 
flickering shades. The only furniture is a single, uncomfortable wooden chair mounted to the floor in front of it. You may stand or you may lie on the uneven carpet covering the floor, but if you wish to sit, you must stare at that screen and the images playing endlessly upon it. The lawyer cannot remember his name. He cannot remember how he came to be in this place, though the words on the television tell him that he has passed through darkness and water to find this place of redemption. He does not remember such a passage, but he feels that were he to dream, he would dream of such a place. He does not know how long he has been in this room. His mind is hazy and somewhere inside him he knows that he must sleep but sleep never comes and the television is never quiet how long has it been since he last slept he remembers trying to keep track of the days when he first found himself in this room but the more he tries to remember the fainter and fuzzier it becomes he thinks he counted out a full month before the tally began to slip from his mind and he could not find anything sharp enough to carve it into the concrete walls imprisoning him. Oh, how long ago was that? The clock seems to lie more and more with each passing day and more than once he's tried to tear it off the wall and smash it. Like everything else, it's firmly bolted in place. So all he has left to do is watch the television and the images the God King sees fit to send down the wires. Once in a blue moon, he sees his lord and jailer in the square, making some speech the lawyer can barely understand, full of grand pontification and talk of worlds beyond the one he used to know, worlds that will fall before the might of the God King. Such speeches are rare and ended quickly. What plays at all other times, at all hours of the day, night, he cannot say. But no matter the hour, the images dancing across the screen remain the same. Every crooked, guilty client he ever took on, knowing he would be well paid for keeping them and their friends out of jail. Every innocent person he turned away because they could not pay his fee, leaving them to their fate in a court that would show them no pity. Even some things he knows he never saw. The actions of his clients, the assaults and robberies and murders he helped them walk away from full depth and breadth of the injustice he sowed, despite the oath he took to uphold it. And he sees his mother, overworked and exhausted at the end of a long shift, telling him once again what a disappointment he is. How she slaved away day after day to provide for this family, and he couldn't even bother to keep the house clean. He never came to visit when he was away at law school. And even when she lay dying in that hospital bed, 
All she could talk about was how his neglect and carelessness had somehow put her there. In the cell, apartment, cage next door, a girl sits before the flickering box, transfixed by the images it shows. Faintly, she remembers other boxes, other screens, ones she chose to look at and ones which did not simply play her own memories back at her in an endless, torturous loop. She recalls that she used to see her friends on those screens, the ones who lived far away but who shared a closer kinship with her than the one she shared with her own family, or most everyone who lived in this place. Oslo, she thinks it was called, but the name feels off, like a half-remembered dream, like someone else's life. And on the screen before her, that's what she sees. A person who looks and sometimes sounds like her, but who dresses in clothes which do not fit her, speaks words she does not believe, answers to a name that is not hers, even if she can't remember her own name in this place. She sees herself standing in front of a mirror, staring at her reflection through tears and wondering why her body does not look the way she wants it to, the way she feels, the way she's always wanted it to be. She feels that pain through those images as sharply as she's ever felt it, and she hears her father's voice rumbling through the TV speakers, saying that she will never be good enough, that she will never be who she wants to be, that it would be easier to stop pretending and just give in. But her father never said those words. She never told him how she felt, who she truly was. And the voice on the TV sounds strangely like the voice of the God King. And in the apartment below her, a detective paces the floor as she has so many times since she found herself in this place. In her mind, she chants what little she knows for certain like a mantra, trying desperately to hold on to her sense of self, her sense of identity. Feels like she has been there for years, but she knows that isn't possible. She has not eaten, drank, or slept since she arrived, and she knows that only a few days could have passed. Otherwise, she'd be dead. She ignores the clock on the wall and the TV whenever she can. The images playing there are maddening, and she refuses to look. Once more, she recites what she knows that she was a police detective before the world went mad and she forgot her name. That the man calling himself the God King is nothing more than her old boss, though, though he looks worse for wear every time she sees him on the screen. That all of this is utterly wrong and she needs to escape this place. Once more she glances over to the door. It isn't locked. It's never been locked. None of the doors in this place have keys or latches or deadbolts. For if you're living in the light of the God King's grace, then what have you to hide? She knows that she's being surveilled. That the TV can see her as easily as she can see the images upon it. 
but she has long since ceased to care. And as the voice of Morrison's herald begins to speak, announcing that a special address from the God King is about to begin, she knows that she will not have a better time than this. She bolts for the door and throws it open, fleeing into the open street as a blazing sun burns her eyes and it- Ramos? What? That's Detective Ramos. What is she doing here? Shit. Ramos! Ramos! Who are you? Ramos, it's me. It's Ned. You need to come with us now. No. No, no, I know what you are now. I've seen it. You're like them, both of you. You aren't human. Ramos, please listen to me. We're trying to help. Stay away from me. No, 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 no. Please. I'm a police officer. I don't deserve this. I'm one of you, please. Please. Take them. Take them instead. They're not supposed to be here. Please. Take me to Morrison. There's been a mistake. I'm not supposed to be here. Just let me talk to him. I know he'll listen. You want to talk to me, please? Because he can just make more. You said it yourself. These apartments don't even have locks. The guards aren't what's keeping the people here. You knew her, Ned. Same as me. Are you really okay with just leaving her here like this? No. But I don't think she really wants to see me right now. So we just move along? There's nothing else we can do, Bailey. Not right now. Fine. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I want to take a second to tell you about a podcast I think you'll really like. Mayday. No one is prepared for disaster. No one knows exactly how they'll react in a plane crash, an earthquake, or when a lone gunman decides to open fire. On Mayday, you'll hear about the people who had to find out people whose stories deserve to be heard. Join hosts Maya Nalani and Luke Welland as they tell you about extraordinary people who found themselves in extraordinary circumstances. Listen to Mayday wherever you get your podcasts. No, it can't be. 
It's too big to be the old HQ. And yet? <laughs> what is it supposed to be, then? Some kind of temple? F fortress? Palace? <laughs> All of the above, I guess. What else would satisfy Morrison's ego? People of Oslo, stand ready and prepare for an address from your gracious lord and master. The god king be born. We should get off the street. I don't like the look of this. <laughs> Same here. How many officers do you think are in that courtyard? I'm, I'm not sure. It's, it's hard to tell through the gate. There's, there probably aren't that many there normally, right? <laughs> Hell if I know. What the hell was that? It sounded like... Wait, you can see it now. Look. What the hell is that? One of the monsters from Shamsen Mine. We had a run-in with him back when Kate was first in Oslo. Then Morrison and I captured one for the psychic wheel. What, what is it doing here? I thought Morrison sent them all away. Like a manita. I don't know. Maybe it was trying to get home. was stolen and lost has been restored, 
and the thief punished and dispatched to the depth of perdition. I've spoken to you many times of redemption and reconciliation, and this, my children, is what that means. The fulfillment of debts, the closing of ledgers, and the balancing of the scales of justice. For all born into this world owe a life debt to the society which birthed them, clothed them, taught them right from wrong, good from evil. And that debt must be paid in duty, obedience, and loyalty, day after day after day. But for those who scorn that gift of grace, those who steal, those who lie, those who rebel against the authorities placed over them, living lives contrary to the natural order, that debt must be collected more drastically. One might say that they did not choose to live in the society they were born into, that one's place and one's station is in and of itself an injustice. But I say to you that such structures exist for the good of all beneath them. Someone must be on the lowest rung for the ladder to be balanced, so then in time all may climb higher and higher towards paradise. But only if no one tries to supplant the ones above them. So rejoice in your station and your place within this glorious realm, and know that there are only two paths placed before you, perdition or paradise. Know my mercies and live, or scorn my gifts and... What the hell are you doing, Bailey? He's looking right at us. <sighs> Bring them to me. Which way? Which way? Uh, we, we came in through the west gate. What, what time is it? How the fuck should I know? This way. It's still open. Shit. Where did they come from? I, I don't know. Morrison must be coordinating them somehow. So much for being hit. Quick, down here. They know we're here now. How are we supposed to get out through the gates? We'll, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it, Bailey. Right now, we just need to keep moving. Ah! Shit. Sniper in the watchtower. I fucking got that. Uh, I need to figure something out. If, if the watchtowers can see us now, then there's no way. I, I know, Bailey. I just... Let me think. Be able to. Oh. Fuck. They got us pinned. They, they kettled us. There's no way out. Well, there's still one way out. We, we can't buy these things now, Ned. There's, there's too many of them. I don't see any other choice, do you? Back to the wall, Bailey. I don't know about you, but I'm going down swinging.
alive, you two? The Sheridan Tapes, episode 91, The Lake Which Burneth. Starring Adrian Gibbs as Adrian Briggs, Van Winkle as Sam Bailey, Esther J. Wayne as Ned Theroux, Sophie Barhon as Detective Ramos, Mike Kennedy as Edgar Morrison, and Sarah Carnes as Lara Smith. With original music by Jesse Hogan. Written by Van Winkle and produced by Virginia Spots, with dialogue editing and sound design by Van Winkle. Visit thesheridantapes.com to view additional content, rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, and connect with us on Twitter at Sheridan Tapes and on Instagram at The Sheridan Tapes. I'm Van Winkle. And I'm Virginia. This is Homestead on the Corner. And you're listening to The Sheridan Tapes. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.